velvety soft bath hands and some real thud in the back, leading to moments like this and McConaughey, and he's snaking his way through, and in Clark to Glanville, fucking a singer is standing, waiting, pouncing. Big Joel makes his a double. Oh, he's gone through on his own. Josh Matabesi, ender of worlds, destroyer of walls. Spencer whips it away. Beautifully done. Gavin scores. The two young bucks who underline their love of this place earlier in the week. Orlando Bailey and Max Ajomo conspire in thrilling fashion. Hello and welcome to the Bath Rugby Plug, the rugby podcast by the fans, for the fans, plugging the boys in blue, black and white. My name is Gabriel and to talk all things 2022-2023 as a Bath fan, I am delighted to be joined as ever by my good friend and fellow Bath fan, Tom. Tom, lovely to see you. Hello, mate. How are you doing? Episode, episode 30, season five. It's been, it's been, a, it's been a long one. It has been um, incredible to think that, that we're coming to the end of our fifth season. What better way to celebrate that and to celebrate a really good end to the season from a blue, black and white perspective than to be joined by, well, I guess I can describe him as a colleague at this point, Bath Hooker, Tom Dunn. Tom, thank you for joining us again on the Bath Rugby Plug. Hi, guys. How are you doing? All right? Yeah, very well, thank you. Uh, Danny, you were just... Um, talking to us a little bit there before we hit record about your, your, your schedule's not really gotten any easier. Friday and Saturday night, still pretty busy with the, the hog roast business. Yeah, yeah, it's fine at the minute. So, um, there's end of season dinners, done Melksham, doing chipping, I've done some junior dinners at Oldfield as well. So, no, busy times. Yeah, do so you, thank you. I was going to say, do you, do you prefer us to introduce you as uh, a butcher, hooker, uh, club captain in the past, or how about top try scorer for the for the season? What 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 tops the list, mate? Oh, I've been called a lot worse than those things, but Danny's uh, <laughs> fine for now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks for joining us, Danny. We're going to get into the the bit of a season review with yourself and kind of get a player's perspective on on the season before having a little look ahead to to what's to come uh, in in the following season before me and Tom kind of go up, go uh, kind of the two of us to do a little bit more of a fan's perspective, maybe some awards, and then we'll also look ahead to the coaching and, and kind of squad makeup of, of next season. Um, but let's get straight into it then, Danny. And, and yeah, it was a, a pretty crazy end to the season. Did you, did you see it coming with those four wins from four, 20 points from a possible 20 at the end of the season? Um, and kind of how satisfied were you with, with the eighth, eighth place finish ultimately? Um, you know, saying you're satisfied with eighth place is a pretty strange thing to say, but if you hold us that at Christmas, I think so we are satisfied. Um, you know, it was, a, it, was a, it was an odd end, but I think it was always building. I think we had improved performance and improved performances. And then towards the last six, seven weeks of the season, we got some consistency in our selection. Um, that's due to injuries mainly. You know, we had some big players back, Lars Benno, Will Stewart. We had a full second row attire, which we hadn't had for some periods of the year. Um, so, yeah, it was, you know, I think we had a bit patchy, bit patchy through the Six Nations as well when we lost some key players. But when we got everyone back and firing, we were, we were on good form. How important is it having consistent selection? Because we've mentioned it, you know, I think there was like one change 
before the Gloucester game, one change between Quinns, and then we fielded a, an identical 15, I think, for the last game of the season. From your point of view, and I mean, you're running the line out, which is obviously a part of the game with like many cogs, scrum the same thing. How important is it on a week-to-week basis to have the same guys pulling on the same shirts? It, it makes a massive difference. Um, it makes a massive difference in the week as well. So you don't have to do as many reps. You don't have to train as many options or as many um, combinations in the week. You know, if it's me, Benno and Stewie, we fit probably a thousand scrums. I'm on that. You know, thousands of scrums now together. We don't need to do four or five a week just to make sure we're good. We, we understand each other and we trust each other. And it's the same with line-out. If you get a consistent line-out cooler um, and the same hooker, you build a relationship and you understand each other, trust each other more, and you don't have to do all those extra reps. So one, that leaves you mentally fresher and two, physically fresher as well. Was that kind of something that you developed at the end with, with GJ Van Beltzer? I don't know if he came in and, and was that line-up caller towards the end of the season. I know that Johan's spoken quite strongly about the influence he had on that on that little run and, and what we saw as fans was what he was doing in and around the pitch, which was influential. But was there more to it in terms of his relationship with you and, and in that line-up? It's just a very wise head, a very old head. I don't mind me saying that either, but... <laughs> No, if you compare him to people who had called at some point this season, like uh, I think like young Josh Bayless was starting to call probably for his third game ever. Uh, you've got Fergie Warner who called for the one ever in his career. So if you compare that to GJ who's been calling for 16 years, uh, it's you know it's not really comparable. So it's not so much the relationship between him and I, but just the understanding that he has and how he can control the tempo, control the call, control the speed, control how he manipulates lineups, you know, it's, it's, it's more than just taking the space. It's more than just, you know, playing X and Y. So that's just what you build up over time. And it's one of those things where it's a very hard thing to learn on the, on the job. You know, you have to make mistakes. You have to go through periods of where you're not good at it to learn and develop. Yeah, he's, he's certainly shown, like, that he's got the... Yeah, I think it's just the nous, like you say. He knows what to call and when and, and can pick the big moments in the game. Obviously, he's been captain for many, many years at Worcester as well. So he kind of, it's like game management, something you talk about, scrum halves, fly halves a lot. But he's shown that he's, he's, he's been exceptional at that. And the result has been that, and you've been one of the beneficiaries of it, mate, because we've been pretty unstoppable from five, ten yards out. How What's that like as a hooker when you, you hit your line out and then you say against the Saracens game, the hat trick to, 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 to tie off the season. And then you just rumble on behind. And I know it's much more than this, but you rumble on behind a, a group of massive blokes. And then over the line you go. I think you beat one defender for, for your hat trick against Saracens. They probably wasn't during my trials either. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a big decision when to, when to break off and when to score. And it gets pressure on you because yeah, yeah. you're expected to score. You drill it so many times in a week and you practice it, but that relationship between the nine as well, you don't see that, like Ben telling me where to go, when to go, where not to go. So he's my eyes, Ben's my eyes behind me talking to me the whole time. Mm. And then I'm feeling it, I'm feeling it through a couple of bodies into the second row who jumped or GJ. So like, it's, it's more of a feel and an understanding and the pressure gets onto you because like you break off second too early, you might get tackled. If you do too late, they might get hold of you. So it's the timing of when you actually decide why I'm going for the line. That's the, that's the skill and that's where you get the pressure. Yeah. yeah. Well, go on, Jay. No, you go on, Tom, mate. Go on. Well, I was going to say, maybe we wanted to touch on like a couple of the, maybe the hat-trick will make it in, into there. We wanted to touch on some of the highs and lows of the season. But before we do, I guess, 
you know, we can probably all agree that we're definitely a better side than we were this time last year. But like when you as a group of players and when, when you look back on the season as a whole, what been the key areas of like improvement that we've made as a as a side? I think the way we exit is more clean. Like the way we get out of our half and our execution of our first phase, I think that's massively different. Um, and the second thing is our defence. Like our, our defence isn't where it wanted to be, but I still feel it's a lot better, a lot more connected, a lot more disruptive than it used to be as well. So there, there'd be the two two things I put my hat on. And that's something that I guess is, is was that your Van Gran and Ferrer with the defence drilled in from you guys from July 11th or whenever you guys got together. Does it take, are we seeing that it's taken six months, eight months for those messages to finally come sort of habits and become regularly? Or do you think it could have happened a little bit quicker had we had more consistency of selection and consistency of, of players available, do you think? Yeah, you know, that's always going to help. It's always going to help. But I feel like in patches it was already there and it was just making it like we were doing the right things and then for two minutes you wouldn't. And a lot of it was down to individual discipline. A lot of it was down to individual error. And I think there's two two places that comes from. One is people trying too hard because we're bottom of the league, because the pressure's on you. Everyone feels like they want to try that extra bit harder to make it happen. When Actually, when you learn to trust the system and trust the people around you, you don't give away those those silly dog legs or silly penalties. And then on the discipline side of things, I think perception is a massive thing in rugby because it's a human sport. And with referees, if you're if you're perceived to be bottom of the league and you're perceived to not be very good at defending and you're perceived not to be good at the breakdown, that's how referees will perceive you as well. Um, whereas actually, you know, you do six or seven games on the bounce where your defence isn't bad, you don't give away penalties, you don't give away stupid uh, mistakes then that changes referee's perception of you as well. So I think that's a double-edged sword where we trust each other more and we understood each other more and then referee's perception of us changed. That's, yeah, I've never really thought of that about referees, but I guess they're human as well, right? And 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 and, and they, they perceive things. Have you, now that we've started to stream together some results and defensively we've been a bit stronger, have you started to see perception in the way that we're refereed change a little bit? Massively. Look at the scrum. Um, so... I think we won something like 19 or 21 penalties in the last four games off the scrum. And that comes from one big performance against Gloucester. Gloucester away, we did a great job in the scrum. Uh, and the next week, I believe it was, might have been Twickenham actually, I think. Yeah. Because of what we did before, the referee thought we were in a good place. We're scrummaging well, we're scrummaging positively. So therefore, that's already in their mind. Then you have another good positive outcome then. You go on to the next one, and the next one, and then you build... You know, referees watch games back like we do. They watch back, you know, the scrums, personnel, who jackals, who doesn't jackal, who does it well, what do they do wrong? So when you build up a positive picture for four or five weeks, the perception... Yeah, you mentioned a couple of the games at, at the end of the season. I bet that was uh, a pretty special part of the of, of, of when you look back at the season. But yeah, could you mainly, could you maybe pick out a couple of the high points for you as a player, maybe some of the most memorable games or moments that that you've had during this season um yeah the uh left at home the trial bar will butt in the 82nd minute i was also my 30th birthday that day so um it put me in a good mood for a party that that would be a memory of a long time that was huge 
A few Thatcher's gold, was it? Um, yeah. off, one, off, one, off one to Anthony Watson uh, on, on the left wing. Yes, unbelievable, wasn't it? Um, yeah, that was pretty special that game and that day. So, um, and it's, it was actually, I think I only benched two games this year and that was one of them. So it's actually, it's actually very rare that we pitch at the end of the game when we, when we actually win. So I, I love that feeling as well, actually being on the pitch when you win rather than watching it happen. Yeah. How about, um, how about King's home? Because I was, I was yeah. there for that game and I was in the shed and I was, it was, it was amazing. And I know that you said after the last game, last season's game against Kingsham, you said that was the darkest moment that you'd had in a bath shirt. So what was it like to turn them over? That's pretty emotional actually. Like, um, it was pretty raw still. Like when we turned up, like we spoke about it in the week and we spoke about what it felt like and how we didn't want to feel like that again. So it was pretty raw and emotional after the game. Like it was also, you know, seven one many and it was it was a big game, it was a good game, it was a good performance coming from seventeen 0 down as well. So we showed a good bit of character and it, it it probably ignited the end of the season for me. Was there any kind of more difficult moments that, that spring to mind? Some some of the maybe lower moments that you look back on now that you kind of realise were 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 moments where you need to stick together as a squad and needed to to kind of stay together and, and stick to the stuff that you've been taught and, and bounce back. Some of those moments where you know that that pressure that you've spoken about felt kind of more more intense than ever. Probably the, the home losses always hurt, and there's obviously a few of them. But for me, the big two where I felt we didn't deserve we obviously you always deserve to lose if you lose because that's that's what it is. But Bristol at home. Always hurts, yeah. and both teams were poor that day. Yeah. Um, we we should have put them away, and then Glasgow at home as well. Um, I mean, one up there's base and Drew, but we lost by three points at home. And again, I felt like we dominated that game. And if you turn those scores around, the season looks so different as well because it was such a tight season in the end. Especially with Europe, I mean, we went out by well, we drew Glasgow away, didn't we? And yeah. that was a win at home. Been in Scotland to knock out rugby. Well, knock out, knock out rugby next season um, or Champions Cup next season anyway. And yeah, before, before we maybe move on to a couple of things about next season, one change for this season with Yorzy being injured for, for all of it was that um, Ben Spencer's been, been captain for the first season. He seems from an outside perspective to be a bit of a, a natural leader. Um, he seems to have had a big impact from, from, our, from our point of view. Could you maybe Could you maybe just talk about how he's gone in his first season as captain and what it's like to play and train with him? Yeah, um, well, Ben's a northerner. He's from Manchester and that kind of like, that demeanour of being quite miserable and not really smiling, but then being quite straight talking at the same time, you know, that northern aspect to him. So I really enjoy that and I think boys react to it because it's genuine. Um, He doesn't have to act a certain way to be liked. He's a class player and people respect that. Uh, But it's also the, the energy he brings when he's actually on the pitch. He's always the noisiest player on the pitch, regardless of the result, training or playing a game. And he's been like that for three or four years. So it's a natural thing for him to be noisy and to be vocal. Uh, and I think his, his game understanding as well as a captain being, a, I've only really had forwards as captain, you know, like Stuart Hooper, Matt Garvey, Guy Mercer, Charlie Yules. So to having a back as a captain, what they're looking at is completely different as well. Like the way they're controlling the game, the, the pitch field position, uh, territory, they're thinking about these sort of things where I think when you have a back row or maybe a front row forward as a as a captain, I don't think they're thinking about that at the time. 
yeah, I think he, I think he's been a kind of breath of fresh air from 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 the outside looking in. He, he's come with 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 a bit of that winning attitude that he had as well. And I think I think from an outside point of view, that that seems like it's helped. A couple of changes that will be. Um, well, a lot of changes at the club with, with players going out, unfortunately, some players coming in and, and some coaching changes, particularly focused for yourself, Danny, I think is going to be firstly Thomas de Toit coming in, the South African prop, um, and also then Richard Blaze coming in as assistant coach, but I think with an emphasis on forwards and, and lineouts and scrums, obviously Neil Hatley moving on to Australia. Either of those guys, have you have you come across either of them? Have you had any experience dealing with either of them or, or heard from guys that have at all? So uh, with Thomas Toy, I've got no, no connection at all with which I'm quite excited for. Mm. I'm excited for the environment with a fresh set of eyes on scrummaging and how you do it. I mean, he's played in a lot of competitions. He's won a World Cup. He's an experienced operator, which, mm. you know, we've had a bar for a long time now. You know, we brought Will Stewart in at 22. Benno came in at 21. You know, we have not had a mature, experienced scrummager who's achieved that much come into the squad in the last 10 years. So I'm properly excited by him coming. That's um, a big one for me and just what I can learn off him and what I can do differently or a different way to skin a cat. You know, that's that's what I'm looking for from him. Um, and Richard Blaze, I know a few boys at Wasps who have worked with him and said that he drives a drives a hard uh, hardship, not the word, but he, <laughs> he drives a... You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Hard works people hard. Um, and I actually had like a, a 45 minute conversation this morning with him about detail about lineouts and how I like to throw and what I like to do. And he's got a lot of detail up his sleeve, but he it's probably like a simpler plan but ex- executed to a higher level, which would be brilliant for us as well. Is, the, is it the old darts analogy where you uh you bring that one out? <laughs> no, the golf one or the darts? <laughs> what was the darts one there? Oh, it was the golf, yeah, yeah. <laughs> golf, I'll let you off. <laughs> I was going to say we, we mentioned like uh, changes to the squad and like it's it all happened quite suddenly but you know a lot of players departing obviously it's a difficult time with the state of the premiership and the salary cap um, and yeah from being involved in it as closely as you are it must be it must be it, it must be strange to see and like two guys that I know you've had a decent amount of involvement with who are moving on sorry so, man, I lost you again there say again I was just saying, two guys that that, that are leaving the they're leaving the club who you've had a, a decent, you know a lot of involvement with. So Dave Atwood, firstly played with for many seasons, he's he's hanging up his boots, and then Tom Dowerty as well, who I know you've 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 trained with over the past se- past few seasons. Um, maybe a word on you know Tom Ellis leaving. He's been a bar for that since he was fourteen years old, and it's a tough time to leave the club because the market is the way it is, and players like him who are quality operators are being squeezed out. Um, you know, you got people like in terms into early retirement, like Dave Atwood, like you said, and Richard Carpenter. You got Big Will Spencer, Mikey Williams. Like these, these boys are class operators, but because the way the market is in the minute, they're just being squeezed out. And then staff wise, obviously, you got Hoops, who's probably you know the ultimate bath man. You know what he's done for this club. Um, it's been unbelievable in the last fifteen years he's been there. You know, he's, the game has been professional twenty eight years. He's been there fifteen years, so I think a massive. A massive amount of credit has to go to him. Whenever if we ever achieve anything or win, I'd look back and say that he built the foundations for that, and I honestly mean that. 
And just as then we, we look ahead to to next season, obviously there's a bit of a gap now between the start at the end of the season, the start of the season with the World Cup. How how are you guys, this is a question actually from David Hurd on Twitter, how are you guys gonna try and maintain that momentum that was created at the back end of the season? It feels like there's a really good feel, good atmosphere around, but now there's kind of five months. How difficult is it to to keep that feeling and and, and that spirit within the group, do you think? I think it's quite easy. You know, you're, as I was saying, you're as good as the last game or the next game, but we've got that winning feeling now. It's going to be with us for five months. Mm. So like, you actually embody it and you, you hold it for longer. We've obviously got a, a, a change of group, but I think the way we're playing is not going to change. So we're just going to build on what we've done so far. And with the consistency of people being fit and selection as well, that's going to be massive. Um, I think opening the game with some Prem Cup stuff, which will be yeah. good for some young lads to get some games on. And then probably move them, the older lads, the more experienced boys into the last couple of games to build up to the Prem. So it's a good time to reset, recharge and take the positives and run with them. Yeah, and in, in that gap, there's there's a Rugby World Cup where mm. we're certainly hoping you might get a bit of a look in. You were called into Steve Borthwick's first squad as England coach. Have you spoken to Steve recently? And is there anything that you can give our listeners about your, your kind of hopes for, for that? Yeah, no, I'm always always hopeful. Like you always dream of these sort of things. Uh, I had a conversation with Steve probably three or four weeks ago where he gave me some pretty obvious and strict work on you know, my throwing consistency and my agility in defence, mm. so my ability to make a decision quick, which I probably lost as I got older. Um, so I've got I've got real clear targets and what he wants from me. So I'll be working on them now, and I worked on them in the last three or four games of the year, trying to try and make a difference. So, for me, it's all about just putting your best foot forward. There's been a lot of times in my career where I've not been picked, where I've been third choice. And as long as I can look in, in the mirror at the end of it and say, look, I did everything they asked me to, then I can come to peace with that. So that's when I heads up with it again now. Um, put your best foot forward and that's what you can ever do. Yeah, fingers crossed for you, Danny, from, from our end. We, we do hope there's a big blue, black and white contingent heading out to France. And I guess... In the meantime, you've got plenty to keep you busy with the Black and White Butchers. This is, of course, the Bartholomew Pug brought to you by the Black and White Butchers. And instead of me, Danny, finishing off by by telling the guys or the listeners where they can where they can find you, why don't you take the floor and, and, and give a bit of an overview as to, to what you can offer and where they can find you. It's time for your sales pitch. <laughs> right. Comes the mirror. Um, basically, we are an outdoor catering company. We specialise in hog roasts. We can do anything from canapes to a three-course sit-down meal. Um, we can do weddings, christenings, parties, celebrations, end-of-season dinners. Um, we can any location is not really an issue. We travel, and it all comes cooked to you. So that's all I can. I think that's yeah. my pick. Yeah, I heard there's a um, there's a there's an end-of-season Challenge Cup celebration at Ashton Gate taking place. I wonder if uh, wonder if you I wonder if you'll be doing that one. No, not been invited to Ashton Gate. Don't know, they don't like me on there. <laughs> <laughs> Danny, thank you very much for joining us as ever. And, and congratulations, I guess, on, on a great end to the season. I'm really looking forward to, to what you and, and the boys have in store for us in 2023-24. And fingers crossed at the World Cup in France. Danny, thank you very much. Well, thank you to Bath Clubman of the Year, Tom Dunn, for joining us on the Bath Rugby Plug. Despite a couple of of internet issues which I probably would have ironed out by the time the listener gets to this um, that was a really fascinating chat as ever with Danny
we'll let the listener be be the judge of that. He he certainly fits in well on the podcast. Um, not probably being the sharpest when it comes to come comes to tech. We wouldn't have it any other way on the on, on on the plug, G. Yeah, great to have him, and yeah, thanks again, Danny, for for your support in more ways than one this season. It's um, yeah. yeah, it's been a remarkable step for us to actually do something productive with it, and yeah, so thanks to you, Tom, and to Danny for getting that sorted. Yeah, it's been it's it's, it's been great, and I think yeah, some kind of really interesting points there from him that I've 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 not really thought about before. I mean, the referee perception. I mean, when you're out there and on the end of these 50-50 or 60-40 decisions at the scrum or at the breakdown, um, you probably feel that a lot more than supporters who just just look at the, you know, the the the, the best statistics. Um, and also, yeah, the the selection consistency and having a an eight year experienced caller rather than someone who's doing it in their second or third game. I think, yeah, those things we don't really appreciate from the sidelines and and watching. But when you're when you're really in the mix there, um, I think they're important. And I, I don't think it's a coincidence that, that those two things have started to start to turn away a bit towards the end of the season. Yeah, and it sounds like he's got some real optimism going into next season. 45-minute chat with Richard Blaze, yep. I'm sure went into a little bit more detail than the half-an-hour chat we had with us. But yeah, that, that was encouraging to to hear and, and also his his words about Thomas Detroit. Um was was really really good tom without wanting this podcast to to run any more into the summer and maybe into to next season let's get cracking with with our segment of the podcast and we're going to kind of do a little bit of a review and and, and some awards and then look ahead to, to next season the rugby world cup um and yeah kind of just try and put the the year into a little bit of perspective i think it's been yeah it's been a, a a crazy season for for the league and for for Bath fans, um, and yeah, I think it's a, a, a nice opportunity for us to reflect on on an eighth place finish, which uh, yeah is um, as Dunn says, maybe at the start of the season wouldn't have been seen as great progress, but I think towards the end of the season uh, has been seen as some. Pro- what I've done, Tom, is I've actually been back through the Bath website, about 50 pages, and kind of gone through all the news and kind of tried to chronologically pan together what happened this season because, yeah, there's a couple of things that I think I'd forgotten. And, yeah, I think it's a nice way to to recap the season. So so why don't I kind of duck into Go that? For it. So the season started, Tom, with some optimism. New coaches, new players, perhaps a new start, certainly a new captain, two wins in pre-season v Coventry and Jersey Reds, but a late drop goal miss from PS Francis denied us the chance of an opening day victory against Bristol, a rescheduled game, of course, following the death of Queen Elizabeth. A familiar feeling followed for Bath fans, losses to Sale, Wasps, incredibly, Gloucester in the Prem Cup and London Irish away. Off the field, Tom Dunn's mullet came, appeared on the podcast, and then went. The future of the league was thrown into huge doubt when Worcester and Wasps went into administration over a 13-day period in October. Bath, quite opportunistically, snaffled Hill, Lawrence, Morisov, Fergus Lee Warner, and later Billy Searle and Jamie Shilcock. 
This didn't pay instant success on the field, the feats to Gloucester and Saracens, but progress certainly showed and the influence of Ollie Lawrence was starting to come to the fore. The first win came on the 22nd of October at home against Northampton Saints and was followed with the defeat of Newcastle Falcons at Kingston Park before Will Butt crashed over Anthony Watson in the corner to cap a third win on the bounce, a 19-18 win against Leicester Tigers at a raucous wreck. Matt Banahan joined us to talk about his run out for the Barbarians against Bath, where Damian McKenzie inspired Barbars down Bath, 31-30. Alfie Barbary appeared with Greg James at halftime, one of the weirder moments of the season to announce his long-term deal. The calendar turned to December as Bath came close but lost to Quinns and got their European campaign underway with defeats at home to Glasgow and away at Toulon. Christmas came early this year. Bath fans for Bath fans with the announcement of Finn Russell as well as contract extensions for Will Stewart, Tom Dunn, Sam Underhill, Pam Redpath ben, and Ben Spencer sandwiched around a Christmas Eve defeat to Exeter and a New Year's Eve win over Newcastle Falcons. Heavy rain meant Bath took their home game to, against Toulon to King's home, but fell to defeat despite a Ted Hill wonder try. Tom, you took the BRP on the road to Glasgow and saw a draw in cold conditions. I'm still, still convinced you're warming up from that. The club, however, missed out on progression. Ollie Lawrence starred for England in a turbulent Six Nations. And the New Year promise wasn't delivered on by Bath in, in a really disappointing stretch as we lost to Sale, London Irish at home on Foundation Day, Bristol at home, Leicester Tigers and Northampton Saints. In this period, Alfie Barbary briefly returned before returning to Rory, Rory, Rory Murray's medical table. At this point, attention certainly began to turn to next season. Thomas de Toit was confirmed and Neil Hatley was to rejoin the sacked Eddie Jones in Eddie Jones in his new Australia project. On the field, results then turned. Chiefs firstly down at the wreck, then came Gloucester and a Shedemption and Quinns at Big Summer Kickoff. Season ticket renewals certainly took an uptake. The season ended in crazy fashion, the blue, black and white securing top eight, thrashing Sarries and crushing Bristol in the process. Ins and outs were confirmed. Lawrence was crown player, premiership player of the season. A turbulent season for the league and the club came to an end and all eyes turned to France for the Rugby World Cup. Wow. <laughs> Phenomenal. <laughs> How long did that take? Yeah, that took a decent stint. That took a decent stint. Oh, I was like we're almost into pre-season already. <laughs> yeah, like it. Uh, yeah, it was um, kind of crazy looking back on that. I completely forgot that Jamie Shilcock and Billy Sale played for yeah, that was, uh, yeah, and then the Greg James thing, very strange. And I yeah, mean, you, I, I, I thought this quite a lot when I was looking back over the season. It's been a crazy season for obviously for some clubs more than others, but I think a lot, has happened that if you'd said at the start, if you'd read that out at the start of the season, you'd said, this is, I've I've been back to the future style. This is what's happened throughout the season. I would have looked at you like you're absolutely insane. And I mean, we have been beneficiaries of, you know, two very sad situations. Worcester from a player point of view, Worcester now from a coach point of view, but it's been mad. And I think, yes, it's been tough on the field at times, but we can be very grateful that we've still got a club to support. And we can be even more grateful that we're in a financially secure position to the extent that we can sign someone like Finn Russell on that mega deal. So 
I think we can look at game to game. We can look at some of the 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 the, the you know the the more detailed aspects of, of of the on-field play, but we shouldn't lose lose sight of that. And I think yeah, that was great. Yeah, we shouldn't, Tom. And there's a lot of doubt around whether London Irish are going to make it to next season. They've got the deadline at the end of this month. And when we reconvene, we could be looking at a 10-team league. Heaven forbid, we could be looking at even fewer than that come the end of next season. So, yeah, grateful for, for Bruce Craig's support, certainly, and, and for, for Bath Rugby through, um, through thick and thin. It's been, it's been a wild old ride this season. And, yeah, looking forward to... to to next season. Tom, why don't you maybe pick out a, a couple of highs from that list that I just read out, uh, a, a particular moment which stands out to you as a, a high point? I think, yeah, maybe one one on the field and then a, a brief one off the field. On the field for me, I don't think you'll be surprised to hear this, G, and uh, gutted that you weren't able to, 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 to come with us on that Friday night at King's Home, Shedemption, as you say, uh, Gloucester bang for blood, 17-0 down the shed, raucous and expecting another thrashing of of kind of the, the their, their West Country rivals and what is the biggest game for, 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 for a Gloucester fan. And then to turn it around in the fashion that we did to show the resolve, the fitness, the effort and the game management down the stretch to end up with a comfortable bonus point win and for the shed to empty in the way it did was one of the most satisfying moments of, of, you know, I've, I've, I've ever had in a, in a bath shirt. So that would be the one for me, G. It doesn't get much, it doesn't get much better than that. Miles Reed giving it the big ends in, in, in front of the shed. Yeah. Remarkable moment, remarkable turnaround from last season as we touched on. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to, to make that one or, or, or any, unfortunately of the four wins at the end of the season maybe that tells you something I think my my stand-up moment change, change jobs mate change jobs and and you can join us on the road for all of them next season <laughs> get on the thin Russell train with us my um my highlight will have to be on the field certainly the the same as Tom Dunn the the Leicester Tigers victory with Will Butts try in the corner that felt like the real dawn of the Johan Van Grand era what was your off the field highlight mate well, I was I was thinking about this, and then when you when you went through it just then, it was just a very kind of positive, happy couple of weeks of news that we had around the Christmas period. You know, it was the it was the renewal Christmas presents that we were handed a day after day. Tom Dunn and Will Stewart to start with, Ben Spencer, Sam Underhill, and then obviously the the oh Cam Redpath as well, and then obviously the the news to to top it all off. The, the the Finn Russell news, which I think brought a real buzz to the club, brought a real buzz to the league, and yeah, just was a bit of a a shining light and a bit of a um uh yeah a bit of a, a silver lining to what had been quite a, a a dark a dark few months for the for for the Premiership. So yeah, I think around that time I was feeling pretty good about about being a Bath fan and, and felt like the future was 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 quite bright for us. Yeah. I think with that in mind, not want to turn it too negative, but I think with that period in mind, my low of the season, I think, is is what came after that from an on-field perspective. And I think those losses, Tom, we were at the home loss to London Irish, which was was pretty dismal, to be honest. The, the, the performance was was not where it needed to be. And we kind of followed that up 
with another defeat at Bristol at home, we weren't at that game. And, and we kind of lost five games in a row there. And it just looked like there was some promise. We played so much better at the back end of 2022 with the extra game on Christmas Eve being really close around those three victories and the Newcastle victory on New Year's Eve. And it just felt like with those signings, we were just starting to build something. And that kind of felt like a bit of a a bit of a flat spot to our season. So yeah, I think from my point of view, that was it was kind of the the most worrying and concerning period of the season. And and we were able to turn it around. But but yeah, some of those losses were were pretty bleak. I, I remember you were uh, you were absent for a couple of those those review podcasts and poor old Henry who who joined me for those was yeah not getting my most positive self at that time. Basically yeah basically stepped in and I I, I came back for the 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 end of the season high yeah it was it felt didn't it at, at points then like a return to to last season or the the season before you know forty eight points conceded against Leicester two yellow cards in that period Northampton again forty five points conceded another yellow card we were giving away I mean we've spoken about Christmas but we were we were we were dishing them out in March it was it was shocking and yeah it it felt like we'd given a lot of ground back. It was really a, a when we look at the season as a whole, happened in, in three parts, didn't it? Well, we started, we weren't our expectations were relatively low. We knew it would take time. We then had that those 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 good series of 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 wins. I think our Challenge Cup campaign was actually pretty good against two sides that were towards the top end of the, the league. We 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 nearly where well, we lost three by three points to, to Glasgow at home. Toulon beat us handily. And then in the return fixtures, we, 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 we did much, much better, obviously getting that draw with, with Glasgow. And then we had that lull that, that we just spoke about. And then we ended the season on such a high. So for what, if you look at the overall statistics, is, is quite an average season. You know, as Dunny said, it seems strange to be celebrating eighth. But it was very, very volatile. In, if you actually look at the results through the season, you look at the different periods. Yeah, and I think some of the players that came in during certain stages of that run and, and that, of that volatility made it made a huge impact as we turn to some BRP award. Before we do, I'll just give a little bit of a rundown of who won the official, well, what they call official Bath Rugby Awards, but the actual official awards are, are coming next, which is the official BRP awards. Club Man of the Year was Tom Dunn. Academy player Sam Harris. Try slash moment of the year was Will Butts. Try against Leicester. Forward of the year, Ted Hill. Back of the year, Matt Gallagher. Supporters player of the year, Ollie Lawrence. And players player of the year, Matt Gallagher. They were the Bath Awards. Tom, who did you have in mind for player of the year? I think... It, I mean, it's a difficult one because I think at his peak, particularly as you said, when when he joined, Ollie Lawrence had an immediate impact, and the way that he played in those wide channels. I mean, particularly I remember against Saracens, when they turned him over away, and he was just bulldozing through players. Ted Hill as well had a huge impact in line out, in in defence, in carrying, and and obviously you mentioned the. That, that, that the incredible probably one of the tries of the season that that he he scored, but I think I I'd probably agree. I think I think I I it has been the Gallagher Premiership at times this season, and it's Matt Gallagher has played so much rugby for us, mm. a lot more than both Ollie Lawrence and Ted Hill have played through the season. Twenty four out of the twenty six games he has been involved in, 
1,820 minutes of rugby, both on the wing and predominantly at fullback. He's not only been a rock and kind of what we've needed positionally and in defence, he scored some nice tries. But as we've said so many times, his kicking game has been fantastic, both from open play and then also, as 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 you were prophetic in saying at the, the start of this year, from, from into the corner. So I think over the course of the season, his consistency and what he's provided... I think I think yeah I I, I think I'd go Matt Gallagher as well too. Do you think Matt Gallagher's got the ceiling of a player that can kind of take us to the next level? I, I agree. I think he's had a really really strong season, but I think he's kind of been solid, hasn't he? Do you think? Do you see elements to his game that can can play as a fullback of a top four competing for the title team? I think so. I I don't think you need to be of international quality or world class to to have a massive impact for a premiership side he is a a proper money ball player I mean he's not the same sort of player and we've spoken about this before but I would compare him to sort of an Alex Good where he is gonna turn out for you he's shown to be shown himself to be very resilient from an injury perspective he's probably never gonna have a long international career albeit he's only 26 years old so you know he's still got a lot of a lot of rugby in his legs and he's going to turn out time and time again and give you that selection consistency. And I think that's what you need. You'd, you'd rather have that than, and I, as much as this pains me to say, it, you'd rather have that consistency than stardust like an Anthony Watson or a Freddie Stewart for five, six games of the season when they're already knackered because they've been playing played out for England. So I think he, I think he can. Obviously, Tom de Glanville is the elephant in the room. Where does he play? How do those two dovetail together and, and fit in? But I think he's a, a very, very valuable player to have in, in the squad. Yeah, I think next season will be fascinating to see how De Glanville and, and, and Gallagher are, are, are mixed together because I think De Glanville's probably not, from our point of view and from his point of view, had a, a very successful season. My player of the season, Tom, I think I've got to go in line with the ultimate Gallagher premiership player of the season. And that was Ollie Lawrence amongst all the other clubs in the league. He was voted as the player of the season. And I completely take your point about Matt Gallagher. I think he's been been really, really good this season. As a complete surprise package from my point of view. Not someone that I was expecting to come in and, and have as big influence as he's had. But yeah, he's come in and, and made that shirt his own, which is remarkable. Because I think last year, Tom DeGlamble might have even been my player of the season that year. Um, but I think I've got to go Ollie Lawrence because of the the influence I think he's had on on Bath, and also because of the, the the difficult journey and difficult season he's had to go mm. through what he went through at the start of the season at Worcester, his boyhood club, and to come through that, get back on his feet, and play some outstanding rugby, star for England. And then be influential in, in particular, in those last few games. I thought at at Twickenham for big summer kickoff, he was he was probably the difference. I thought he he outplayed Joe Marchant in that game, and and that was massive in us winning that game. And then to score the try, which which didn't get us technically to the top eight, but for all intensive purposes, got us to the top eight. I think they were kind of crowning moments for for Ollie Lawrence and yeah I think he was massively deserving of that award I was so so happy for that and I think for me Tom he's got to win my player of the season and 
And I also think Ted Hill might be my runner-up for for a lot of the same reasons. I think he's been he's been monstrous. Yeah, and Ollie Lawrence, only twenty three years old, and to to go through that to respond how he how he has done, fantastic. Yeah, I, Ted Hill as well. Maybe other guys I'd mention briefly as honourable mentions: Tom Dunn, uh, top try scorer, Mister Consistent throughout a lot of the season, body on the line, and another very very solid season in the legs. And Miles Reed, I think, mainly because he has had to play in a position at number eight where he's not familiar and that's not easy to to do he's had to adapt his game and in the absence of Jakob Kutsir and Alfie Barbary I think he's acquitted himself very very well do I think he's a number eight for the rest of his career no but I think it takes a lot to again a, a relatively uh, relatively inexperienced still to to step up and do that for as much as he did so yeah I mentioned those two guys as well G. Yeah, agreed on. Oh, on I'm Ben Spencer, obviously. Sorry, go on. Goes without saying at this point. Yeah, I just, it goes without saying at this point. <laughs> um, Ollie Lawrence might have to win our young player of the season as well. As you say, he's only 23, so probably still qualifies for that category. And I think that kind of gets to a little bit of a wider point I want to make about the season and the squad. I think last year we came off the back of a, a really disappointing season. We were the worst team in the league. We came bottom. But there were some players that developed that we thought we could kind of build the future around. I'm thinking about Orlando Bailey, Max Ajoma, and then in the forwards, Ewan Richards, Ethan Stadden. And these were genuine kind of breakthrough young players of the season that we just didn't really see coming and were kind of from the academy. And I think for one reason or another... This season, we haven't really seen that. I know Sam Harris won the club's breakthrough slash academy player of the season, and he hasn't featured at all for Bath's first team. He's done some great things for the academy and and, and England under-20s, but hasn't really featured. And I think that has been one, one slightly frustrating thing for me is that we haven't seen anything really come through that we weren't expecting. And also, I think, to an extent, we probably haven't seen the development of the guys we saw last season as much as maybe we would have hoped. And I think Max started playing some really great stuff at the end of the season. But I think Bailey's not quite pushed on as to maybe that's too high expectations being a really young guy. And then in particular, looking at at those forwards and, you know, there's been injuries and, and, and other circumstances which have prevented that. But I think that has been one slightly different and, and frustrating thing for me this season. Yeah, and I think when you, you throw in, we only had four Premiership Rugby Cup games this yeah. year, qualifying and with no Bath United games, it's hard for those guys to to, to launch and to 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 get game time to, yeah. and to, to push into the first team. Yeah, that, that's a valid point, Tom. Let's now look ahead a little bit to oh. to, to next season. Sorry, do you have a, one last question? Yeah, I was just going to say, should we, we, should, we, should, we, should we sum it up? I mean, we finished eighth. When we look back at the the, the the season, we look at the improvements we've made. Do you think the first season under JVG has, a, has been a success? Are you happy with where we've ended up? Do you think we're well positioned going forwards? And what are some of the key areas of um, of improvement and also concern? A lot of questions in there, but just give me your overall <laughs> overall impressions overall impressions of of the season. Oh, I, I I'm happy now with the year, and I think I'm happy now because. 
I've had this viewpoint for a little while in that I think this is now the time when we really see JVG and, and, and his stamp. And I think we saw enough in the first season to suggest that the changes he's made last summer are starting to come into fruition. All of those players that we pretty much mentioned for player of the season were signings. Some of the defence improvements has been under JP Ferreira. So I'm happy that we've seen progress. And I think I'm comfortable that we're going to see even more progress with the changes that he's made. I, I don't think ultimately the performances on the, on the pitch are on a consistent basis over the course of the season were good enough. I think there are times when we still look like the worst team in the league. They massively improved for a month at the end of the season. And that's great. We've got Champions Cup rugby and there's a real good feel-good atmosphere. And I think I saw enough in that first season to give me hope that what he's building and what where we can be at come the end of next season and then two seasons down the line will be top four and then and then eventually title contenders. So I'm happy where I am now, even though I think at times the rugby we saw probably wasn't as good as I hoped it might be. Yeah, I think as I said, it's been a it's been a strange odd season performance wise, but I think if you look at some of the key uh, aspects, the key parts of our game that he picked out at the start of the season on this very podcast, G, fitness, undoubtedly better, both off the field, keeping players fit, selection consistency, and on the field. Just look at some of the second half uh, points differences that we've, we've, we've pulled together and how we've closed out games. Defence, much better. I mean, we've, there's been some games when we've conceded 45-50, as I said, but our defeats have been much, much closer and we've just all round looked a much tighter defensive side. I was looking at the, the change in the points difference across all the yeah. teams in the league and we are top by a long, long way. We are 143 points better off as, as a points difference on a relative basis. Second is Bristol on only 51 and there are only four teams that have improved their points difference and we're at 143. So, I mean, that, that tells you all you need to know from that, from that point of view. Kicking game, Matt Gallagher, we mentioned Ben Spencer also being absolutely key to that. His place kicking has been absolutely phenomenal in the back half of the season. He slotted 89% of his kicks and he's only, and four of his misses, he's only missed four kicks have been within three meters of the touchline. So that's been a, a massive part of our game. And is there anything he can't do? So overall for me, would I have taken eighth? Yes, I think I would. I think there's been some aspects of the season have, have been disappointing, but as we look ahead to next year, I think the position we're in from a, a playing squad and a coaching squad point of view, and some of the foundations that have been laid, I think it's not just about where we finished. It's about how we feel going into next season. And I think, from that point of view, we're we're in quite quite good shape. Yeah, and let's have a little look at that shape that we're going to be in, Tom. Coaches, you mentioned. So, JBG will obviously remain in charge with JP Ferreira as his defence coach. Now, there's going to be two assistant coaches which will sit under Johan van Graan. Firstly, Lee Blackett, who will, I assume, I don't think this has been specified yet, but will work on the attack. Joe Maddock leaving after 
one season. And 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 this is something I'm 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 really, really excited about. This guy's got director of rugby pedigree, right? I mean, Johan Van Grand's got some balls on him to employ this guy who could easily be taking his job in in a year or so if 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 things don't go right. He was great as Wasp's director of rugby, particularly creating one of the most, if not the most potent attack in the league. When he was appointed as attack coach for Wasps in 2015, they scored a league high 71 tries. And then the following season, they topped that with 89 tries. That that attack looked fluent. It looked well coached. And I'm really excited as to, to what Lee Blackett can bring with his experience in the premiership as well. I think, I think that's going to be key. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, uh... A very very savvy appointment, as I think is is Richard Blaze as the other the other assistant coach. I mean, heard Tom Dan talking about him him running a a tight ship and working players hard. And if if Tom Dan's saying that, then you know he, he really does. But yeah, I, I was listening to the end of season review with with Van Gran, and he was saying that all the dealings that he's had with him, the 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 work that he he heard that he and saw that he did with Leicester. And developing what's a very very gnarly pack along with with Steve Borthwick there was 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 very very impressive. So again, I think someone that has shown that they can take teams to, to, to towards the top of the Premiership and another another very savvy appointment, a guy with experience, a professional guy, and not just a former player. Yeah, and I I really don't want to use this as a moment to throw any previous coaches under the bus but at times it's felt like being a Bath fan that we've assembled a really really great squad but are they necessarily getting the absolute best coaching and an organization off the field and I think looking into next season hopefully and I, I think this will be the case we'll, we'll kind of have little doubts about that let's have a look at the squad then Tom and we touched on this in um in our previous episode, but but let's maybe look at it in, in a touch more detail. So Dave Atwood, Richard de Carpentier retiring and then leaving Atkins, Dowerty, Green, Hamer Webb, Ray, Spencer, Morosov and White. Tom Ellis also announced earlier in the season that he um, he would be leaving. Tom, I think you we've kind of spoken about, about these guys in, in a little bit of detail before, so kind of not wanting to labour the point, I just... Really, really hope that that they catch on because with the the loss of two clubs and, and potentially three clubs, it's becoming increasingly more difficult to get jobs. And and, and there's a lot of guys there who deserve to be playing Premiership rugby. So, um, yeah, fingers crossed for for those guys. And, and unfortunately, this will be my last opportunity to to give Darren Atkins a shout out. So, Daz, all the best with 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 your next move, mate. Um, coming in then, Tom, we have got Thomas De Toit. And Finn Russell as the only currently confirmed two new signings. Pretty high profile signings <laughs> there. That will also kind of go alongside with Alfie Barbary, who will feel like a new signing, having played, what, eight minutes for us last season. And also Charlie Ewells, who will return from the Blue Bulls and may captain the club. That's probably a conversation for another day. Is there an area of the squad now that we've, we've probably got a realistic look at is there an area that you're a bit concerned about at this point and, and maybe an area that you think might get strengthened with a bit more squad depth level player yeah I think I think for me it'd probably be the prop department still you know Thomas the toy very useful in that he can play both sides of the of the scrum predominantly a tight head so expect him to line up there 
as 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 a preference. So then, if you look at the 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 guys that we we we've got, so tighthead, you have Will Stewart, you have Thomas the Toy, and then you have Johannes Jonker, and then on the loose head side, you would have with um, uh, with Lewis Boyce going, you'd have Ben Urbano, and then you'd have in in reserve, I guess you'd have Arthur Coldwell. Am I missing someone there? Andrew um, Schumann as well. Andrew Schumann. Sorry, yeah. So. And we've said this so many times on on this podcast where we've had all we've had hundreds, it feels like, of of short term front row replacements. Aronos Kutsia was a was a, was a bar player at the start of the season, the Namibian prop. Who remembers him? So I'm just a little bit concerned that we're an injury and a couple of international call ups away from being right at the end of our reserves from a prop point of view. And when you're trying to play in the Premiership rugby, particularly with the the the, the game plan that Van Graham wants to play you need top quality props. And I'm a little bit concerned that, that we'll either, um, that, that we might have to, to draw on our reserves there, unless we, we we're expecting to bring someone in over the course of the off season, which, which wouldn't surprise me to see at all. Yeah. And that start of the season, that's going to be no more evident, isn't it? So the rugby world cup finals on the 28th of October, the premiership rugby cup is due to start on the 8th of September. Now, yeah. They probably wouldn't play in that, you know, a Barney Stewart to Toit probably wouldn't play in that competition anyway. And that's provided all three of them go to France for the World Cup. But the Gallagher Premiership starts up in full on the 13th of October, which is the quarterfinal weekend of the Rugby World mm. Cup, right? So say England and South Africa have got that far, which looking at the draw seems really likely. We provide and provided those three guys go. We're going to be left with a, a pretty sustained period where we're not going to have our first choice props, and and we've said that so many times. So I agree that that kind of a, a is an area that, that that concerns me. And yeah, if, if if we get to that stage, you know, and we're looking at short term signings because we've not thought about this, it would be it would be seriously, yeah. seriously frustrating. Yeah, I mean. From a World Cup point of view, the two things, other than obviously England going as far as possible and, and and maybe winning the thing, if you can if you can dream that, two things I'll be watching is Thomas Detoy selected. South Africa have got freakish reserves in the prop department, and secondly, let's hope that Scotland go out in the group stages. <laughs> I mean, I, I can, don't know anyway, but you can get Finn back as soon as possible. <laughs> I mean, yeah. An extra reason for us to hope Scotland can the group stages. Well, I'm not a Scott hater like you, Jay. I've I, I enjoyed, enjoyed my time up in Glasgow. <laughs> I bet you did. A couple of other areas where we maybe looked a little bit light. So only two recognised hookers, really, um, with Nyla Nett and Tom Dunn. So Jasper Spanner might have a bit of a role to play. And then only two recognised nines with... Ben Spencer and Louis Schroeder. So Tom Carl-Smith, who's a guy that's been in and around the squad for a little while, he will probably fill that third role. I think the other point, G, is that when you look at the squad as a whole and players that are likely to be unavailable through through internationals and through the World Cup, possibly compared to other premiership teams, particularly other premiership teams higher up in the table, which we're going to be wanting to, to compete with next season... We are relatively unaffected. I mean, if we if we look at it, even through slightly blue, black and white tinted spectacles, you have Will Stewart, maybe let's say Tom Dunn gets gets on the plane, Ben Urbano, possibly, but you know, the loose head's already a pretty strong position for 
England. Thomas Detoy, we mentioned, but again, he, he may not be selected. Then Finn Russell, Cam Redpath have both made the 41-man squad for Scotland, but Cam Redpath's not played in the Six Nations or only off the bench. So will he be involved on a regular basis for, for Scotland? So I think, yeah, from a squad point of view, I expect a couple of people to come in, maybe scrum half, maybe prop. I think the back row is very, very strong. The back three is very, very strong. Centre strong as well. Um, and But other than that, I think we're looking in a, in a in in a in a pretty strong position from a from a squad point of view. Yeah, the only the only other one that I would throw out there would be Ben Spencer, but um yeah, that doesn't seem likely to be honest at this point. We will be back actually to do some pre-season podcasts before the World Cup starts in September. So I guess we'll give our our thoughts on the tournament as a whole at that point, but yeah, really excited to to see Finn Russell in action hopefully only for a couple of games. And then, yeah, really excited to see England's progress through the tournament with what looks to be a pretty favourable draw, which could lead them to, to getting pretty far, despite probably not being one of the best three or four teams in the world at the moment. But the top of, of world rugby, when you look at France, Ireland, New Zealand, South Africa, England in particular, looks really strong. So it should be a, a, a really interesting World Cup and yeah, looking looking forward to that, Tom. Are there any sort of early predictions, really, really early predictions, May the season before predictions that, that you want to throw out looking at next season as a whole? Well, I think we'll we'll talk about it until we're we're blue in the face next season and in the lead up to the season. But I think Finn Russell is gonna be great. And I know that you're <laughs> I know that you're I know that you're a little bit skeptical about that G ever the ever the contrarian but I just think if you look at what he did in the Six Nations for Scotland you look at the stardust that he brought and then you start to look at some of the way that we've begun to play in the the the, the back end of, of of that season I just find it impossible that he isn't going to bring something pretty special to to this club you look at a player like Marcus Smith and how phenomenal he is for Quinns when there's quick ball and when they're playing in, in more open style and then you look at what he's able to do for England and, and the drop-off that he gets. Finn Russell is performing at a consistently world-class level for a worse side in Scotland and, and, and creating moments of magic. So I hope I'm, um, I'm not wrong and I hope I'm not, I'm not talking him up and he's going to be kind of a, a Cipriani-esque disappointment. But I just, I just can't see it. And I know I speak for a lot of Bath fans when I say I'm so excited to go and watch those first few games of Finn Russell and just see what he can do in, in, in blue, black and white. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, really excited as well, Tom. I don't want to kind of not be really, really excited. I guess my only kind of trepidation is I'm not convinced yet that this squad and this setup is is a Finn Russell away from from being top of the table. Maybe they're Thomas Detoy and a Finn Russell away and an Alfie Barbary. And, and maybe that combination works. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be weird because there's going to be a lot of pressure from probably us and other media for this team to get top four next season. And I just don't know if they're there yet. We came eighth, we finished really, really strongly and we're signing who a lot of people, including yourself, believe is maybe the best fly half in the world. 
And with that in mind, there's going to be little doubt that people are going to be fancying Bath to do well next season. And I just worry that that those we may not meet those kind of expectations. And I think it is still a, a slightly a longer term plan. So I guess that's how I kind of see it see it planning. Yeah. I think we need to, well, yeah, we'll be the fashionable pick going into next season with the way we've ended the season and the players we brought in. But I just think we need to need to keep our, our ourselves grounded. The league is very, very, very tight. I mean, the, the difference between Bristol in ninth, so Bristol finished ninth in, in the end, on, on 47 points, and then, well, Leicester in third was only 12 points, and then separating ninth and sixth was only four points. So it's very, very tight. It comes down to bonus points. It comes down to the, you know, one or two games between pushing top four and being towards the bottom of the table. And I don't expect that to to change. So I think let's not get ahead of ourselves. This is a long-term project. One player, no matter how good they are, can't transform a team and, and push them right to the top of the league. So yeah, I um, we can be excited and we can put pressure on Finn Russell. I don't think he'll be concern- too concerned with that, given how he how he plays his rugby. But um, yeah, let's just let's just keep ourselves grounded and let's just enjoy it. <laughs> I, I I would love to just be able to do that, mate. You know that. Um, one thing that we we've, we've kind of missed and, and we should definitely touch on and, and probably do it a little bit briefly here Tom and that is amongst all the news towards the back end of the season there were further developments I guess to the stadium for VAR so so why don't you give us a quick update on what's going on there yeah sure so the plans were unveiled in person at the the last game of the season against Saracens at the wreck in a very very small event that people weren't even able to access and the reason that that we're kind of pushing forward with this is that you remember back in October of, of last year, we had the, the the result that the Supreme Court, and I think I'm going to get this right, refused an application seeking to appeal the ruling of the Court of Appeal. So essentially, there have been many, many appeals. There's many, many legal covenants and impediments that hopefully, fingers crossed, touch wood, have now been been cleared. So assuming that that is, is, is th- th- those, those, those legal hurdles are being cleared, the planning process now begins and um, the plan for, for the club is to submit an application to the Bath and Northeast Somerset Council this summer. And then G for ideally, and these things always get delayed for construction to begin in Q2 of 2024. So that's after the end of next season. And if construction begins at that point, it's fairly significant construction. We could only be looking at one more season at the wreck before we potentially move to at least play some of our rugby at another location. So if this stuff all moves ahead at the planned speed, this could be upon us pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And I'd, I'd encourage people to go on the website. There's a, there's a whole section on Stadium for Bath and look at some of the plans. They are really good. I think the, particularly the way that the, the, the Riverside has now been adapted to give a, a bigger space, obviously to have permanent stands, but to have kind of more of a, a, an area there where people can go have a drink rather than um, obviously the, the relatively old state that, that it's in now increased capacity, 18,000 obviously being a, a, a significant thing. And one point that I was, I was reading earlier, which is, which is quite interesting. The club are being very cagey and are not ruling out changing the name of the stadium so that it wouldn't be the wreck anymore. It might be the stadium for Bath. And I'm not sure how I 
how, how I feel about that. But that's definitely something we should we should also keep an eye on as 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 we go forward. But I think it looks great, and I think we're going to start hearing more and more about this, and it might come on pretty quickly now. You need to have a little look in the bathroom plug coffers. How much is Tom Dunn paying us? Can we afford the the sponsorship to call it the Bath Rugby Plug Stadium for Bath? So it's box first, I think, and then and then we'll, we'll go from there. Uh, box next to Bruce, I think. Yeah, and I think I did read somewhere, Tom. You've done a little bit more research on this than me, but I think I did read somewhere that they were planning on doing it sort of stand by stand, ensuring that um, kind of we were able to stay at the rack. Uh, for the period of time that it was under construction. I'm not sure how realistic that would be. But yeah, it is certainly exciting times. I would just encourage them to get a move on because there might not be a league for us to play in for much longer. (laughs) But yeah, this is exciting times, certainly to be a Bath fan. Tom, thank you very much for joining me today. And thank you very much for joining me over the course of what has been a remarkable season for us as the Bath Rugby plug our fifth season this is episode 30 that takes us up to 169 episodes of this which is pretty remarkable to think where we started and and kind of where we are now so thank you for joining me mate it is a pleasure as always and what a season we've had we started with Johan van Graan we of course finished today with Tom Dunn in the meantime we've had Tom Dunn on again Nayan Merrigan, Matt Banahan, Miles Reed, Lynn Furquest, Dan Hine, and JP Pereira. Friends of the show, Henry Bate, Tom Dabinett, and Andrew Muldoon have also made cameos. And we joined the Rolling Mall Tigers podcast for a collaboration. 1,130 minutes of podcasting, not including this end of season marathon. Ups and downs wins and losses but as always tom through thick and thin yeah and i i i it's it's, it's been a some season g it's felt long at times but I, 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 the support that we've got has been great and i think the support for the club has been fantastic this season again through what's been a difficult season at times and i was looking at some statistics about club attendances over the season average percentage attendances and we still leads the the league by some degree in that in that regard 94.2% average attendances at the rec this season no one gets close to us there's a few teams in the mid 80s plenty in the 70s few in the 60s and then three teams who are just shaved above halfway so the support we we have the best supporters in the in the league we've been challenged at times we are the best club in the league and uh, mm-hmm. the only way the only way is up from here and, and and we'll be back next season, won't we, G, to to hopefully comment on on what's gonna be what's gonna be an improvement and and looking ahead to uh, uh premiership and European contenders in years to come. Yeah, season six will be in your feeds when we get round to that for sure, Tom. And Bath have the best supporters and the Bath Rugby Plug have the best supporters. And listeners, thank you so much. It's been a wild season, a wild couple of seasons, to be honest with you, with everything that's been going on at the club and, and, and through some pretty down periods, we've only seen our listenership going up and we don't really publicize ourselves nearly as much as we could or should and the only way we really get it around is through you the listeners so thank you for that it's it's a bit weird we've done 169 episodes and we sit here 
on a Zoom call and we talk to each other and then I press upload. And it does sometimes feel a little bit like it kind of just disappears out into the ether. But just to think that you guys are enjoying it, you're waking up with us, you're listening to us on your trips to and from the wreck and to and from away days, it really does make it all worthwhile. And, and we really do appreciate all the kind messages that you send us because ultimately that is the the reason we do it because yeah, we would sit down and chat for 40, 40 minutes to an hour if we didn't have a podcast, but um, we've got one. You guys seem to like it and thank you so much for your support through season five and look forward to, to joining you all again for season six of the podcast. We'll go into our summer hibernation. Now we won't come back until September unless something seriously wrong go, happens. So fingers crossed that doesn't happen. And Tom, thank you, my friend for joining me. It is a pleasure as always. Um, and yeah, stick behind the boys through thick and thin.